Put him in the aisle. Gets a shotgun snap. Final play of the game. Ron waiting for the wideouts to get downfield. Launches the throw down toward the goal line. Going up. Ball tipped in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Jordan Westerkamp. Nebraska wins the game on the final play of the contest. Oh, baby. Side back to throw is Martinez. Now being chased, throws it out. A flat Burkhead makes a catch. Sits a tackle. 25 20, 15 10, 5. Rex Burkhead. Touchdown, Nebraska. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for joining us here tonight on Church of the Corn. Joined here by Zach and our guy Drake, who is trying to get seductive by taking his clothes off on camera. Not the first time. Drake, how are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Uh, it's not, it's not the first time I've stripped for money. It won't be the last, I'm sure. Yeah, this is now a really good time for you to advertise your OnlyFans page. Yeah, uh, it it has not been as productive as I'd hoped. Apparently, there is there's not the market out there for abnormally tall, skinny men with size 14 feet that I I thought there would be. You know, that definitely sounds like a pretty niche market. I feel like somebody though would have bought into it and. Unfortunately, I, you just I feel like I should. It. Yeah, I feel like I should be raking in, you know, like 50, 60 K a month on Feet Finder right now. And I'm just not. I, I got to I got to link up with a new marketing manager. You're not doing a very good job. You just need to start wearing a wig and then that'll definitely get to him. <laughs> it might help if I shave my feet to start. Uh, yeah, well, ogre feet don't sell great. <laughs> um <laughs> Well, speaking of that, um, I guess not speaking of that at all. Let's let's <laughs> let's just jump right into the big, I guess, big story of the weekend that nobody saw coming. Um, we got another Riola reunion in Lincoln. Uh, yeah, uh, and not only not only was it a Riola reunion, um, that's pretty catchy though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I mean, there's a few things going on there. Basketball has, you know, one of their top targets into in in bowl, the seven footer out of Kansas. Um, but more importantly, that that's a surprise visit, right? Like that was not Huge. announced. That was not announced. Nobody knew it was happening. And um, Brian Christopherson had a great write up on it yesterday. Shout out to Brian. Um, he got a quick interview with him and. Riola said he's never experienced anything like that when he had the Dylan chant. Uh, I mean, I think that ex- that doesn't happen at USC. That doesn't happen at Georgia at a basketball game, especially for a team that is now 15 and 14. I was going to say, to for be, a team that does not have a great record at that. Yeah, you don't – I mean, and I've I've said this for years. You know, we we both know I do the Creighton postgame show. I used to work for Creighton boo, men's basketball. Boo. I have I have long held that I I firmly believe, even in down years, Nebraska tends to have a, for me, a more enjoyable environment for for basketball. Um, their crowd is just a little bit more rowdy. They stay the whole game, win or lose. Uh, I I really. Nebraska is a special place, both in football and basketball, with those environments. Um, I haven't been down to a baseball game in over over a decade, probably closer to two. But it, it's just such a special environment. 
And even when USC basketball is good, even when Georgia football is good, by and large, the fan bases for their basketball and football programs are totally different in how they interact. And you're not getting that at at Georgia. You're not getting that at USC if you're Dylan Rayla. You might get it at Oklahoma. You're definitely not getting it at Ohio State this year. But um, Oklahoma's not even on his on his list to my knowledge. So I I think yesterday put us in the driver's seat personally. Yeah, I mean it's it's not um, for a team that, like you said, was fifteen and fourteen and had a sold out basketball arena for a team that's historically not good at basketball and to put on that kind of display for a recruit that's not you know not not even out this year you know he's a 24 guy so he'll be next year um but for them to come out and show that kind of support and just i mean that that's that's crazy i don't know even know what the number was but that many people shouting for a, a basketball recruit or a football recruit, excuse me, at a basketball game. It's pretty cool. Um, I, I, I know he's going to have a big announcement. I think tonight it's at either seven at o'clock seven, central. Okay. I couldn't remember if it was seven or eight tonight. Yeah. It's seven central eight o'clock Eastern. So I, I think we should, we should at least do our best to stay on that long. So we can, we can break that. Right. Um, Cause nobody, nobody's going to know that announcement before this airs tomorrow. There's no way. Yeah. It's um, I mean, what, what, what do you think it is? Cause I've, I, I mean, to me at this point, he's not committing. I no, I don't think so either. Sense. I don't think so either. Now we are coming up very close on his projected commit date of was it March twenty fifth? I think he commits first end quarter of, of the year. I think it was uh, sometime within the first three months. But um, he had you know his visits early and his officials are all in March. And it's yeah, he has an official boom, to boom, Nebraska boom. on the on the twenty fifth. Georgia. I know there were some rumors about him canceling that. That that's been at least. Publicly debunked. We'll see what happens. Um, for me, I mean, and Nebraska's they, got the last one, by the way, on the twenty fifth, I believe. That yeah, that we know of. Again, Georgia hasn't been scheduled officially yet. So, um, you I know, thought we Georgia told, was the week before Nebraska. Or did no, that Georgia, to USC? Georgia's date has not been 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 set in stone yet, and uh, that's why people thought it was. That's why the rumor came out that it had been canceled. Um, so it's been said, I don't remember where I read it, but it's been said both by him, his family and multiple recruiting guys that cover Nebraska, um, that they want to have a commitment by the end of March. Uh, if I remember correctly, so we're getting, we're getting there. I mean, the end of this week, middle of this week, we hit March one, right? Do I foresee a possible commitment tonight? Sure. Um, and the only reason I say there's a possibility, and when I say possibility, I'm saying like 20% chance. Man, you are way the, higher on it than I am. It, dude, it takes a lot for me to get to 20%, by the way. I'm I'm pretty much very much not in this in this game. Um the only reason I think there might be a commitment tonight, the possibility is A, the experience that he had yesterday blew him away. Um, and he said that. Two I think it's a little late in the game coming up against your commitment date that you set to drop a, a top three or a top five, right? Like 
I'm dropping a top three and I, I'm committing in the next four weeks. That you, that's not common. If you give me a top three though, and those are your top in those are your three visits in March, I could see that being normal. But yeah, I mean it it makes sense. It's just not common. And I guess we can go back and say that this recruitment process for him has not been common at all because um, you know, how many guys are are like him and pl- truly playing out the recruiting process with their dad who spent as much time in the league. Like they are very much making this a business decision and a business venture, which I appreciate 100%. They're holding everything pretty close to their vest. They're not being loose lipped. Um, yeah, there was a commitment and a decommitment, but beyond that, it has been very much more handled like, like professionals. And that's that's not common. With the uh, commitment to Ohio State at the time, do you think that was more of a – I don't want to say a, a spot to save to save a spot for you, or do you think it was a little bit of a kind of jump-the-gun thing? I think it was a little bit of a jump-the-gun for him. I think, I think he had – okay, let me back up. So – I don't think everything that we've heard about the Scott Frost being an Arizona thing is true. Um, after some conversations I've had, I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, we don't have to dive too much into it. But at that time, you know, I think he really, I think he did really like Nebraska, but he didn't feel safe. And he, it's possible that he felt like if he played out this full commitment and went through the full process and waited to see what happened with Scott Frost, he was going to get left with only Nebraska potentially and a staff that he may not have fit well well with. So I think it was kind of, like you said, saving a spot, mixture of saving the spot, jumping the gun. He felt comfortable with Ohio State, but he it, he might not have truly loved it. Um, and then, you know, once once things started playing out here, the rumors of who we were bringing in and and kind of how they wanted to run things, he was willing to reopen that commitment. That that's kind of how I play it because he did decommit just before we hired Rule, but I think at that point he knew and we all knew who it was going to be. So that, that's a good point you bring up, and this makes me think about something with the whole Scott Frost debacle that happened during the recruitment cycle early on with Riola. Do you think it was more of a thing of? He knew the Nebraska offer was going to be there. And even with him committing to Ohio State and then decommitting, he didn't have to really play out the whole cycle. He decided to pretty much outplay Scott's tenure to see what was actually out there at Nebraska. Does that make sense? No, I mean, I, I mean, I think I know. I think I, yeah, I think I know. I think I know what you're saying. I, I just think you're wording it wrong. He needed to know what was going to happen with Frost. Yeah, there you go. That's a good way to put it. Okay, okay. Because like, outweighed, if he wasn't I mean, sold, if he wasn't sold on him, though, maybe that's where I'm coming thing. into it. That I don't know that I don't know that he wasn't sold on Frost. He didn't trust that he was going to be there, though. That's a good way of putting it. Because and you're going you know, into this then year, you, was, uh, who knows? Yeah, and then you and then you see what happens against Northwestern, Georgia Southern. Obviously, Dylan's committed at this point too, though. Um, but lines of communication were still open even after his commitment. So I, I do think there's a, a world 
it's less likely than it is today. I do think there's a world where if, you know, Nebraska comes out and wins seven games next year, last year, and we retain Scott Frost, I do see a, a world where Dylan decommits and immediately commits to Nebraska. I, I see that as a possibility. Um, I see it a lot smaller than I do seeing him commit to Nebraska right now. I, I've, I've said it on this show. I've said it on other shows. I, I think that Dylan Rayola is in and I, I would I would bet my very small life savings on that. And it's not for all the reasons that people think. Like, yes, I think his uncle being on the staff in their Polynesian, I think, I think that plays a huge factor, but I don't think that's why he's committing. Because this family is all about business. Having a dad who played as long in the NFL as he did and an uncle that coached in the NFL, they get the business side of it they know Dylan is going to be treated very special here. They also know that not every every legacy has a standing offer and not every legacy is being recruited to the same level that we are recruiting Dylan. Now, I think this staff, far more than I expected them to, right? Like we, the day this announcement was made, I was not super thrilled. It took me a couple weeks to open up to it. Um and it wasn't because of anything that they had or hadn't done. I, there was just other names I liked better for where we were at. This staff has totally turned my opinion on his head. I'm all in on this staff. Um, getting the chance to listen to each and every guy on this staff talk, look at all their resumes and see what they've done. This staff really wants to build from the inside out, which is not what any staff previously has tried to do since, since we lost Tom Osborne. I think Dylan appreciates that. I think the Raiola family appreciates that. They know how important, like for him to showcase his skill set, he's going to have to be protected. And on top of that, they know, like the staff is in on some big recruits at wide receiver, both size, size and talent wise. Like there's enough film on guys that these guys have recruited quarterbacks that they've played with to show, Hey, here's where you, like, um, I can't think of the who was the quarterback that they had at Temple that's with the Panthers now. I can't think of his uh, name. PJ Walker. PJ Walker. PJ Walker was not an NFL quarterback when they had PJ Walker. They turned him into an NFL quarterback. Dylan Raiola is an NFL quarterback. What can they turn Dylan Raiola into? Yeah, he, he I mean, and, and just looking at his tools, like I've posted many, many videos of it. Kids got some special tools. And if he he's got the same problem now that he would have had if he was at Nebraska last year. He's got people constantly around his feet, can never set his feet. So he's constantly throwing on the run, and it doesn't look pretty, but he's got physical tools that you can't teach. Like, you can't teach a guy to be six foot four, 230 pounds as a 17-year-old kid. Like, you just can't teach that. No, and not only, like, the way he gets through his progressions. Oh, it's smooth. Is, I, I would put him up – this is not fair to the kid, but I would put him up there right against the top quarterbacks in college football today and how quickly he gets through his progressions. Now, granted, you're obviously playing against different talent at, at Arizona High School than you are in the Big Ten, the ACC, the SEC, whatever it is. But keep in mind, when you're playing with better talent, too, it's a little bit easier to do some of that stuff. But some of the throws he makes, especially on the run on his back foot, are fucking crazy. It, it <laughs> It's it's pretty it's beyond impressive. I mean, I would 
I would throw his high school film up there against anybody right now in the NFL. There's, I mean, sure, Kyler Murray didn't lose a game in four years at Texas, which is very impressive. Oh, yeah. Especially in his class. Yeah, Kyler Murray does not have the same natural arm talent that Dylan Raiola does. Kyler Murray has some different talents and some very impressive talents. I mean, how many guys get drafted in the first round of two major major sports? Very yeah. few. Yeah, baseball and football, and and yeah, he, he you know he had the full ability to go either one. But I agree. I mean, while Murray's five eleven and runs a four 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 three, and I mean that's something that Raiola doesn't have that ability, but he also doesn't need that ability. You know what I mean? No, I. And again, this is going to be another unfair comparison, but. I think Dylan, in terms of prototype, not not skill set, not where he's at mentally, like savviness or anything yet, but I think he's a lot closer to a blend between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. Tom Brady wasn't not nearly as athletic, but he could he could move the pocket enough to stay alive, right? Patrick Mahomes can extend plays long enough to stay alive and hit the big one. I think Dylan's probably for his career is going to fall in between those two and how he keeps plays alive might take off a little bit more than Patrick Mahomes probably doesn't have the arm. There's very few guys that are going to have the natural arm strength and natural arm talent that Patrick does. But I, I can see a world where he's kind and again, do I think he's going to be an all hall of fame quarterback? It's way too early to tell. He's 17. (laughs) the, The way he's going to build his game, I think is going to be, a blend of those two. I mean, that's, his, that's, pocket, his pocket presence is quite is beyond impressive right now. I mean, his ability to navigate through a lot of trash in the pocket, you know, just guys being around his feet. And for a quarterback, that's a scary situation just because you get rolled up on different things like that happen. You can't set your feet. You can't throw accurately for the most part, but he's yeah. got the ability that to really negate a lot of that just by his natural talent. But so and sheer size, like he, I mean, oh yeah, he's he, he's got he like has, it was like watching Big Ben back in the day, kind of. Well, not e- not even that. Like I I don't think he's built that big. Like he's not that bulky, right? But like his size allows him to negate like some of the stuff that he's going to lose from his legs when he's throwing off balance. Like his arms that big, but it's not as big as Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, right? Like no, he's hard to sack too. That was more of my thing. Is it's oh, you're yeah, not yeah, just yeah. gonna you're not gonna arm tackle him. Like you're gonna right. have to bring. You plus another guy to most likely get him. Down. Yeah, you're probably going to have to get a roughing the passer penalty in the NFL. Yeah, and that's 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 pretty fair. So I think it's going to be a top three announcement tonight. It sounds like you think it, it's most likely going to be one as well. Yes. Yeah. Now, will I be surprised if it's commitment? Yes. Will I be like? I'd be pretty shocked. Com- would I be completely blindsided? No. Um, but I think yeah, there may no, have been I, a silent commitment this weekend, possibly. But I've thought that for um, a little bit of time now. Yeah, I mean, we've heard rumors of guys like Malachi Coleman being silent commitments since last June or last May, right? Like, yeah. is there a silent? I just, I think the way every everything I'm reading on this family and like observing, and I could be totally wrong. Like, if I'm wrong, feel free to hop in the DMs, hop in the mentions. I don't care. Publicly harass I, them. That's what we prefer. Yeah, whatever you want to do. I just I don't know that this family is about silent commitments. They kind of seem like they want to get through the process. Yeah, I think it's more anything they want to get the process over. Um I just kind of felt like it's it's been a silent commitment to rule and staff since 
since everything's kind of come together and they've had the offensive since side of the ball together. The, since we sent the entire staff except for Rule to Arizona. Yeah, you know, that makes a little bit of a, a, a big difference, we'll say. So and there was a it was an on three uh, guy, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but he put out an article about Ryle and some of the five star plus guys. And he had mentioned at the end of the article, I screenshotted this and put it up that there's no place like Nebraska as far as development goes for um, Dylan Riola and what he would be able to develop into. Couldn't you argue that very easily and say USC has a much better track record right now at the quarterback position for development with Lincoln Riley? Yeah, I, I would say Lincoln Riley has that. I don't think USC has that. But no, USC it's more O'Reilly than anything. Yeah. USC has still pumped out far more NFL quarterbacks in the last 30 years than we have. Um, in fact, the last NFL quarterback we pumped out, I guess, I guess if you want to give credit to Tanner Lee, you can, but the last one I'm going with is Eric Crouch and he became a wide receiver. Jamal Lord became a defensive back. Like, yeah, I'm trying to, I can't even think of another one outside of Crouch. I think Taylor Martinez. And he was a gunner. <laughs> Taylor Martinez and Tommy Armstrong's got got a cup of coffee to play other skill positions. We have not put a quarterback into the NFL. Let, but if you, if you talk about is. the USFL, we put one there. Yeah, we did. Adrian. Well, I think Tommy played there for a little bit too. He might have. That's good. I'm not sure. I think I think Tommy did. Uh, DPE was there for a little bit. Um, I remember DPE doing it. Yeah, I, God, I feel like knee injury. I, what could talk have been about, with dude? There's there's a couple of guys on in those years that I I said about him and Jamal Turner both. Um, Turner was another kind of twitchy, freaky. I mean, just his change of direction skills were just literally like hitting a, a, a joystick. When Taylor went down before Tommy and Kellogg started splitting reps. I was kind of beating the drum that we should throw Jamal Turner in at quarterback because he was a high school quarterback. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, I think uh, he was out of Texas somewhere, I think, wasn't he? Yep, yep. And wasn't Lamar Jackson a high school quarterback too? I think so. And then they could because I remember come bo- corner. I remember come bowl game when we had no quarterbacks left. I was like, let's throw Lamar out there and just see what happens. But anyways, anyways, uh, I think the point of that article in terms of development is there's no, sorry, there's nobody out there in college football right now that, that has a legitimate shot at Dylan Raiola that has a track record of building up a couple of kids at Baylor. Um, I can't think of that kid's name, that rule built up that, he didn't make it to the NFL, but he was never an NFL prospect and had a pretty good career. And then PJ Walker. Like, not only that, something else that Dylan, like in Dylan's career, if Dylan ever gets us to eight, nine, 10, 11 wins in his three to four years at Nebraska, that's going to carry a hell of a lot more weight than winning 10 games at USC. Right? Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I wonder, is, 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 was the last name Florence maybe for that quarterback? That was the only uh, one. Was, uh, or Blake Shapin, but I think that's who they got now there. I was just trying to look uh, it up. 
Yeah, uh, I don't know. But either way, the the kid that they had the year that they won ten or eleven games, like that kid was. I want to say he was like a two to three star prospect. Yeah, but and, it's pretty much playing in the system and letting the system crank out the wins. You know, everyone's chipping in, doing their part. That, but I mean, it still takes special quarterbacks to do that, right? Like to Don't go out and win. Over, yeah, <laughs> yeah, to go to go win. I mean. Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury put up some crazy numbers in college, but you know what they didn't do? They didn't win conference titles. They didn't do a whole lot. Now, they had some big wins, don't get me wrong, but they also had Jeremy Macklin. Um, that it just There's a lot more for Dylan to prove if he ends up at a place like Nebraska. And I think I think the family, I and I keep going back to the family because I – as much as they say it's 100% Dylan's decision, I think the family's weighing in a ton on this. Any school that that he's going to list in his top three tonight, nowhere can he prove more than at Nebraska. And I think that's what that article is referring to. And that, that very well could be. I just The way I read it was – I read it a couple different ways. Number one, USC, obviously, under Lincoln Riley. What they've done with Caleb Williams is pretty impressive, but the talent around him is also insane. Other than that, you know, he has put two Heisman winning quarterbacks in the NFL. Or is it three now? I think it's two. Hurts and May, uh, Mayfield, right? Uh, and Murray. Murray. Okay, so it he does have three then. Okay. Yeah, uh, and, and it'll be four. It'll be four when Williams goes. But I guess if I'm Raiola looking at Nebraska, I kind of look at it as, as – not let us know how you want this team to be built, but here's what we're going to do to build this team up. And this is from, you know, rule standpoint, here's how we're going to build the team up. Here's where you fit into it. And, and I mean, you don't have a comparison for, for um, Raiola just physically. He's kind of freakish. I kind of compare him to Aaron Rodgers personally, just a bigger version of him. Yeah. I just, it's just there's hard, no but, but there's a program. There's there's just no other program that is going to build their ent- the entirety of their future off of off of this kid. There's just not like USC is still recruiting other quarterbacks. Well, and Nebraska they've already got only another five star. Yeah, I mean, and not to say that this kid's afraid of competing, but this team they are a hundred percent recruiting and trying to build to make him the best quarterback that he can be. It's not like, hey, we just want you to come fit into our system. No, we are fine-tuning our system to fit around you. That And that's that's kind of why I think he's held out a little bit longer on the process by letting Rule kind of come in and establish things. Not to say that, hey, this is this is the only system we're going to run, but it's more of look, look what we can build in short term to stabilize this program to – have you as that missing piece that gets us to the next level, essentially. Yeah, and so one thing, I've gone back and forth on this whole Marcus Satterfield is dead set on running the huddle. Here's why I don't like it. I think it's going to be a lot harder to recruit high-end talent at wide receiver and quarterback. Because if you are not going fast, getting everybody touches – you, it's it's just hard to backfill those rooms with talent. Everybody wants to showcase as much as they can, and the way you do that is by getting an up-tempo spread where you're throwing 20, 30, 40 times a game. Receivers are catching 9, 10 balls a game, right? Like, 
That's just the way college football has gone. That's how those kids get recruited. Even Georgia and Alabama do it now. Now, on the flip side, what I like about it is exactly what Marcus Satterfield said. We are getting, we are allowing our quarterback to be a leader in the huddle. They get to call those guys in. They get to, you know, rip their ass in between plays. And that is still very much how the NFL is run. So it is going to be a lot closer to an NFL run program and the way we do things offensively than it will be just about anywhere else. So I'm I'm split on it and I could see us mixing it up too. Like I don't think they're just a hundred percent married. We're gonna be in the huddle all the time except for the two minute drill. No, and, and I think they'll go to more of like a muddle huddle where it's kind of, you know, you're not you're not huddling every play. You can call a lot on the run, you can call a lot of audibles, check with me, different things like that. So I think it'll be a lot of I don't think it'll be like what we've seen from just picking on a couple teams, uh, Iowa and Wisconsin the last few years where it's been they're getting 60 plays a game. I still think Nebraska's going to run somewhere in the upper 70s as far as plays per game. I, I do like the idea of that huddle because a lot of the times it's going, going, going. You don't give yourself that time to possibly settle the mind down if you need to, especially in key situations. That's one thing that I really like about it is – given the team the ability to reset after every play, not just go, 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 go. And yeah, I think Nebraska's needed that the last few years, some some sort of reset to get yourselves back in the game mentally because one negative play and what do we all think? Shit, we're going to punt, even on first yeah. down. If nothing else, the coach needs to reset sometimes. I mean, how many times have we said in crunch time, whoever's calling the plays, their buttholes pucker in? Um, this year was Whipple in quite a few games. Well, the last four years previous, you know, come crunch time, Scott was not calling good plays. Like, and I, I, I brought it up on this podcast at least 20 times, but I go back to Adrian Martinez's last series at Wisconsin first and 10 from the 40. No time. I think we had two timeouts left one time. It doesn't matter, but it was first and 10 from the 40 and we were just chucking it to the end zone for four plays instead of trying to get first downs, trying to shorten the field, where then Adrian can be a threat with his legs too, which, I mean, I'm still very high on Adrian. I thought Adrian was misutilized here at Nebraska, but his best tool was always his legs. That's fair. I mean, you've seen even when he went to Kansas State, yeah, he could throw the ball, but his ability as a runner was – what really made him special. And I, you know, I feel like a lot of the injuries were a lot of the reason why he just wasn't nearly as effective through the air, but yeah. And I mean, he even lost some with, with his legs too. I mean, you remember after year two, when he was cutting weight, cause he had put on, on a ton of weight before year two, he said, when he cut, cut weight, a question was asked. He goes, I finally feel athletic again. This whole last year, I, I couldn't move. Well, they bulked him up to a uh, fullback, essentially. Yeah, he was a six foot three, two hundred and forty pound quarterback who was built to like his skill set was to run, and it was based on agility. That's how he avoided sacks, and he couldn't do that at two hundred and forty. He was too big. He couldn't throw. He he even said like, "I am now too big. My throwing motion is off. I can't do what I want to do." I mean, just adding that kind of bulk in a in a year. You know, as much as we shit on Duvall, and, and we, we've all done it, but here's one thing Duvall did. 
He was brought in to make guys bigger, stronger, and he did that. He did a great job of that. But I think Martinez was a case in point where it was too much too soon. Yeah. And at the wrong position. Was out the, yeah, functional strength went out the window. What's functional strength? <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> for the last four years, it doesn't seem like we understand what functional strength is. Yeah, no, functional strength completely went out the window. And, and what I mean by that is, and you've talked about it, like defensive linemen, you don't just want bulk. You're, you have to be strong in, in a phone booth. You have to be explosive. Like, yes, bench press matters. Yes, squats matter. But if I'm squatting eight plates and I can't move left to right or I cannot, you know, be explosive with my hands to get the offensive line's hands off of me just because I'm so bulky, what the fuck's the point? Or I got and, two seconds of explosion and that's it. Or I can't, I can't get leverage because all I know is how to squat up and down. I don't know how to push forward. like, And all of that went out the window. I mean, our defensive backs, all they got good at, I mean, I and no no shame, right? Like, we take this for what it is. Our defensive backs got really good at being fast and being able to cover. You know what they couldn't do? They couldn't press. That's why we had to play zone all the time. We had no functional strength in our arms, and when we went to press, receivers knocked their arms down, and they weren't agile enough to keep up right after that. They couldn't turn their hips because they squatted too much, like well, things like that. So that's kind of funny. I've actually heard this from a few people um, connected to the program and different things, that usually when you get guys in the weight room, they blow up upper body and then do nothing lower body. In the Nebraska program, it was the complete opposite where they did everything lower body and nothing upper body. So there was no upper body strength, but lower body-wise, looked just like bodybuilders. And you, so – Ridiculously strong, but just the stamina wasn't there, unfortunately. Stamina, and again, functionality. Flexibility, um, yeah, just endurance in general. So it, it's funny that you bring that up because that is truly an old school, very simplified version of Big Red Power, whatever Husker Power, whatever we used to call it. Yep, essentially it's, it, it's bigger, stronger, faster. It's the, the, all these programs are very similar. Right, but so that is a very old school simplified version. And what I'm getting at is because I've read this part of it, um, mm-hmm. and it, it's actually very big in the basketball world for for younger basketball players. The thought process is you you get your lower body stronger, it does release more testosterone, so then your upper body can catch up faster. 150 percent more, I believe. But there is like everything, there has to be some moderation. You cannot, you cannot just get to your biggest capabilities in the lower body and expect it to work. Like everybody's body type's different, and this is what I was excited about with this stuff coming in. They're like, we can use analytics, we can measure metrics, and see like if we do this to this guy, what will it do to them athletically? And I thought we were going to live by that. We apparently didn't. But you and I, two totally different body types. Even if if I was really, I thought we were just alike. Okay, hear me out. Like, even even if you're six six, right? Let's say we're yeah. both six. We're both six six two thirty. Just yep. hear me out. My frame is still going to be way different than yours. We absolutely. Like, we're not going to carry weight the same. We're not going to carry. We're not going to build muscle strength the same. And this, for whatever reason, that that acknowledgement of body type 
went out the window in my eyes. Like as I'm observing from, from the outside, that's what it looked like because of how much everybody looked the same at a certain point. I agree with you. I, I, it feels like, and we've heard this from multiple people. I remember when Oklahoma said this, that playing against Nebraska was like throwing into a tree or a, a forest of redwoods because of how big they were and how mm-hmm. just massive they were. So that's great. But like you said, when all the bodies look the same, that's a little bit of a problem. Now, if all your bodies look like they do at Georgia or Alabama, hey, that, that, there's no problem at all. But they've also also got the athleticism to go along with those body types. Nebraska d- didn't seem to have that, but they also didn't develop that either. It was to who looks big and bad coming off the bus, it seemed like. Yeah, and you're right. Oklahoma did say that. There was a guy for Oklahoma said, you know, Nebraska getting off the bus looks every part of a Power 5 program. They look, they look bigger. They look like they should be faster and stronger and meaner than anybody they play. It just doesn't translate to the field. And some of that, you know, some of that very well could be mindset. Some of it could be, we've talked about it on the defensive side of the ball. Once Bill Bush took over and those guys weren't thinking as much, defense looked a hell of a lot better. So some of it could go, be there. Go, 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 Some of Some of it could be there. So I'm not throwing all this on Duvall. But from an offensive line perspective, those guys couldn't do anything that involved athleticism. They couldn't pull. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't even double effectively for the most part. Like, and and that that is more so where where I where I'm throwing a little bit of shade at Duvall. But again, just like I I've said this about Coach Allen, and I say about Coach Raiola last year, I don't think they were given complete control of their own responsibilities. Yeah, we've we've been pretty steadfast in that one, and and with with as many times as you said that, I think I've said this next statement the same amount of times. I don't care who came in and played offensive line coach or you know coached offensive line here at Nebraska last year; they weren't going to be successful based on the amount of screw ups that have happened the pre- previous few years, and the head coach getting into a pissing match with the OC, getting into a pissing match with the offensive line coach, who in turn got into a pissing match with the head coach. When you've got that kind of chaos behind the scenes there's no way you're successful and it just magnified the problems that were going on with the program that we had seen we all acknowledged they were there it's just i don't think we wanted to come to terms we didn't shit we didn't want to accept how bad they were we didn't want to accept how bad they were and i think we should have realized that when we got to the point that we did last year when we were all talking to okay what's the bare minimum that frost has to get you to keep his job because that was the biggest talking point for months I mean, when we got to that point, that's, that's not a great point to be at as, as a as a program like Nebraska. For sure. Now, can I, can I flip something on you really quickly? I just – I want an opinion on this. I will give you the greatest opinion you've ever heard. That's not true at all. So, okay, first off, let me ask this. We are in agreement that Ryola was not given control of the offensive line or how the offense looked at 100%. All. Yep, okay. 100%. Now, do you think, A, I mean, let, let's just say Scott Frost goes the whole season. So let's start there. This is obviously hypothetical. Yep. Do you think Scott Frost is more inclined to give Coach Riola more control over the offensive line if Trev does not take away the offense from Scott and tell him it's 100% Whipple's offense? 
Ooh, that's a good question. That is a good question because I feel like at that point it turned it into more of a pissing match. Well, so here's what here's where I'm going with this. Okay, I think. Uh, let me answer that real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. And then I, I'll, I'll I do. It. I do feel like if if the offense wasn't completely taken from Frost, we may see more of what Riola's Riola's philosophy is and how it would mesh with Frost's more run first scheme. Yes. So I'm going with, and and you know the Lincoln Journal Star quoted me on this. Uh, when I said Whipple wants so badly to be right about who's playing quarterback, he's willing to sacrifice a win. That was the Minnesota game. Um, and the reason I bring it up is you said that quite a bit too, I believe. Yeah, I did. I did. And, and I was right. I'll give Come you at me, Husker. I'll give you credit where credit's due. <laughs> Come at me, Husker Talk. I know, I know you think Chubb is your boy. Zach once thought it too. Chubb ain't it. Chubb hey, ain't I, it. I, I admit I was I was off on that one. I missed that yeah. one pretty hard. But anyway, I, I just think at a certain point, especially after Scott got fired, because the offensive line I thought looked better under Scott, like when they when they were integrating the run. But they did. I, think, I feel like they were more of a, a go forward kind of line as opposed to a we got to hunch, yeah. you know, we got to hunker down and pass block for three seconds. Yeah. Uh, I just, I think Whipple felt he could do no wrong and he just gave zero fucks after that. But I, I'll also remind you, I brought this up a lot. I was very concerned about the Whipple, Mickey, Scott Frost meshing because two days apart, Whipple says, I need to have one receiver I can force feed. And Mickey's saying I need I need to have six guys ready or nine guys ready. Like just a couple of quotes. I was and you know, maybe I was sounding the alarm too early. I, I'm gonna go ahead and say I feel vindicated at this point because we only had one guy catch over 30 balls. Um that I just I felt like that offense wasn't ever gonna work because they weren't on the same page. And Whipple was the most stubborn person I've ever seen on a football field. And that's saying a lot because those guys have egos. Yeah, and and I remember when Whipple got brought in last year, and God, this feels like we're doing a recap episode at this point, but it doesn't matter. When I, when Whipple was brought in, I was I was concerned at first, and I said before he got hired, I didn't want him because what he's done at every stop, he's turned him into a pass first offense, and that's what they've done well was pass the ball well. Usually he's had some good options to work with. I honestly feel like Thompson, you know, his numbers didn't blow anyone out of the park last year, but for what he was forced into and how long he played injured, I think he had a partially torn up shoulder, partially torn labrum, and some mm-hmm. others had a fully torn uh, fully torn labrum, which makes sense why we didn't see a lot of him. And when we did see him, he didn't look great at the end of the year. Um, Still look better than Chubba. No, 100%. I agree with you. It's just, <laughs> I didn't realize that he had a completely torn labrum. I mean, for those guys to play through that, that's a different level of toughness, and you can't you can't question that with any of these guys. I, I just feel like the position that Thompson was put into last year, he was pretty successful with what he was given. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I, again, something that I have said a ton of is we as Nebraska fans for the last – I'll, I'll say decade, maybe more. Take out, take out one quarterback. Um, we've been, we have not truly appreciated the toughness of the guys we've had playing that position. 
Um, Adrian Martinez played hurt all the time with a broken jaw. Taylor Martinez played hurt. Zach Lee played hurt. Tommy Armstrong played hurt. I, pretty much everybody except I, Tanner Lee might have been hurt, but I don't. I didn't think so. I don't. Tanner Lee didn't get hit enough for me to worry about it. Well, you but, couldn't tell the difference either. Yeah, going going back to Eric Crouch and Jamal Lord, every quarterback that we've had, I, other than uh, old boy who came from Arizona State and ruined college football video games for us. Um, oh yeah, asshole. Yeah, yeah. We're just gonna call him asshole. Pretty much, pretty much everybody else is has been an absolute warrior and somebody that everybody on the field is willing to get behind. And I guess my biggest problem is, A, we as fans didn't truly appreciate it. I'm I'm just as guilty of it with Taylor Martinez as I think a lot of people are with Adrian. Um, but on top of that, our coaching staff didn't give them a chance to lead, really. Tommy led. Tommy was given the opportunity, but I don't think Taylor ever was. I, Joe Gans, I don't think, ever – Foley was given the opportunity to be a leader. Uh, Zach Taylor is probably the last last one that was able to truly lead a team. So you, you brought up a good one with, with Gans. And when we talked to Chris last week, Chris Brooks, um, you know, he brought up something about getting to fully showcase his abilities because of, you know, kind of the differences in staffs and and. Mm-hmm. Different things like that, and I can't remember what 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 we all discussed on and off. So I don't want to mesh too many ideas here. But do you think yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Gans was another one of those guys that you seen when he got on the field, made plays, and set passing records? Do you feel like Joe Gans was another guy that just got caught into the you know, how do I want to put this? The pissing match that is college football between one staff and another staff. This. No, no, because keep in mind, Joe was brought in under Callahan, and then he was screwed over by Callahan. Okay, I see. I couldn't remember if Gaines was in that weird tr- crossover period of what I know he's from Chicago, but I just couldn't remember yep. where. So he came, he came in to back up Zach Taylor. Okay. And, and then Sam Keller came in, obviously, but then so did Harrison Beck. Oh, my God. He's out of his fucking mind. So, I don't know yeah. if you follow him, but he's just out of his fucking it. mind. It's some of the funniest shit I've ever seen. Um, if anybody wants to go follow, see what Harrison Beck's up to with his missing teeth, you can follow him on Throw God on all platforms. Uh, you you got to check out the videos on YouTube. They're the funniest shit I've seen. Well, have, you, have you seen? He's also like trying to become a musician, um, like death scream metal. Um, it's pretty interesting. Anyways, uh, let's stop throwing Harrison Beck so oh, much God. love because he hates it. <laughs> he is, um, he's, yeah, he is something. <laughs> but, okay, okay, so hold on. I want to I touch on this one Harrison Beck video, and then we'll get back <laughs> into your question. So Harrison Beck, and he took down a lot of these videos. Is um, it the Ryan Nassib one? Because that's no, a no, terrible it's, one. It's it's the Joe Gans one. Okay. He, sa- he said one day – Callahan got really pissed at, at the offense, specifically Harrison and Zach Taylor, and um, called in Joe Gans in the second team. And Joe Gans was standing on the sideline with a horseshoe lip in and just came in and was slinging it all over the first team defense with the second team offense, just just ripping it like like we know he can, right? Like the dude like he the like he did when he played when he got on the field. Yeah. So, um. I, I think a couple of things went Joe Gaines went against Joe Gaines, right? Like you, you we've we saw it with with Casey this year. 
Um, you bring in a hot, what is expected to be a high level quarterback transfer. They're, they're pretty much given the job almost immediately, anytime, right? Like, and Sam Keller was supposed to be pretty good coming out of Arizona state. So I think he lost there, but then Harrison Beck was <clears throat> at the time. And I, I think still to this day was the highest recruited high school quarterback we've ever signed. I think so. And then physically, I mean, if you just go up physically, that dude's arm at the time, it was pretty freaky. I mean, he had yeah. a hell of an arm at the time. Yep. Yeah, and, he, you know, he's touched on this in his videos, not not for people to feel sad for him, but the guy didn't have the easiest family life, um, it sounds like. And there's obviously some, I don't want to call them disabilities, but some some issues upstairs that he's said mental with. illness. That's, that's a pretty yeah, fair statement. Some, some demons. I, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist or anything. I, I can't diagnose, but it, he's clearly battling some demons. I just feel um, like when you've gone it, through all that shit over the years, you know what I mean? You're going to develop. Something. Yeah. And, and he was, and he said he was battling some major demons when he was in Lincoln. He was promised the starting job coming back. Um, and they told him to gain X amount of weight in the offseason. And he showed up one day and he was at that weight and they told him he was too fat. Well, it's because he did he did things the wrong way uh, and he just bolted. Right. Um, so so there's that. But back to Joe Gans, I, I think that's kind of what went against him was they, they were catering to Sam Keller and then they had to cater to Harrison Beck because Harrison Beck was the guy that they were betting their future on. And then when when he bolted, I guess he bolted, and then Sam Keller came in, right? Yeah, and then I think Keller got benched for. Well, Keller got hurt. Yeah, yeah. That's Joe, Joe, Gans, Joe Gans is never playing if Sam Keller doesn't get hurt because they weren't benching him. That's. But then he true. comes in, they tied it. To he him. leads that. He leads that amazing comeback at Texas A&M with a touchdown pass to Mo Purify, um, and the rest is history. I think. I can't remember. Joe Gans might have even been a preferred walk-on at the time. Um, Joe Gans was special, but we all know college football has always been a business, and a huge part of that that drives that business is recruiting. And whether you believe it or not, promises are made every day. When I, I, I you guys, I played NAIA basketball at one of the worst colleges in the country at the time. Promises were made to me. And I played on a high school team that in my junior and senior year won a combined seven games, and I averaged less than 12 points a game my entire career. Promises were made to me. So you can't tell me that the highest recruit, highest quarterback recruit to date going to what at that time was still considered a powerhouse in Nebraska didn't have promises made to him. And when you don't keep promises to those kids, people lose their jobs. Yeah, and those those kids are usually a little bit more vocal because they carry a little bit more uh, cachet than the average two three have, star guy. Yeah, we didn't we didn't have social media back then, and the media knew the promises. Yeah, well, you know, it's like it goes back to the old uh, days at uh, SMU. You know, with hundred dollar handshakes, and you got Eric Eric Dickerson's parents getting a brand new, you know, Corvette or whatever, just hanging out outside the house, just out of the blue. I mean. Like that, it's been going on in college football. It's yeah, it's part of the the landscape now. Go go listen to the YouTube video Seventh Floor Crew by the Miami team. You'll learn a lot. Yeah, the I'm not even gonna call you know the amount of pay that was that has been getting thrown around for these guys for years. We'll say forty years. 
50 years is 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 crazy but that's what i, I mean you expect it though it, and everybody everybody recruited to to their niches right like at nebraska in the 90s i if you read uh jason peter's book he talks about it we got in trouble for our training table because we were serving like fucking fresh lobster and shit like serving things that weren't necessarily allowed Jason Peter developed his his addiction problems here in Nebraska because we were willing to give him anything that kept him on the field. Like everybody, every everybody did things. And I don't, I'm not trying to throw shade at Tom Osborne and his staff. Like they did things the wrong way. That's just how it was back then. Yeah, that's like, not strictly a Nebraska thing. That's a college football and pro yeah, football can, thing at the time. You can't come back and look at a college football coach in the 1940s and 1960s that you know, had opinions on people based on skin color and just like completely like shit on them because that right, right, wrong or indifferent that there were norms, right? Like, yes, looking back in today's lens, that's terrible. You know, when we look at guys like Bear Bryant and stuff for some of the beliefs that they had, uh, Adolph Rupp at Kentucky for basketball. Yes, that is terrible. And today we would condemn it, but when you're in that time period and it's normal, like I can't really hold it against you looking through the lens of the sport. If I look through the lens of today, yeah, absolutely condemn it. Like there's no doubt about it. It's wrong and terrible. I don't know. I'll probably get some hate for that take, but. I mean, it is what it is. It, the The game has changed. The, the, the game of the shit. You can even say that 20 teens is different than it is now. I mean, the game is yeah, we've evolved. Our society has evolved a hundred percent. Well, I mean, and, and going to something that Rule had said, it's it's not so much now. They're upgrading all the facilities, obviously, and and the weight rooms and how they're training, different things like that. But one of the biggest things that we've seen isn't on the field; it's actually off the field with recovery and different modalities. And you've heard me say it numerous times: like that's the game changer now. Is 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 how can you heal off the field? Not so much mm-hmm. what can you do on the field, but how can you have your body ready to be as close to 100% as you can possibly get next time you take the field? Yeah, and you know what? I'm going to – building off of this, I'm going to tie in a couple of recent conversations that we've had with guests. We'll, we'll bring up Chris Brooks last week, and we'll bring up our last conversation with Brian Munson right before signing day. One thing that, you know, I probably get hate for this too, but we live – too much in the past, not necessarily in like the nineties, but how we think things need to be done as a whole. And so one thing that coaches have said coming in, Scott Frost said it, our fans say it all the time is we got to dominate the 500 mile radius, right? Like yep. that's one thing that we live by. But when you pull up the top teams, I'm looking at on three's recruiting rec- recruiting for, for 2023, the top 10 teams, almost every one of them has an average distance traveled for their recruits greater than Nebraska's and yes they're top 10 teams and they've consistently been top 10 teams like I'm not I'm not denying the fact but, but you see Brooks teams like said, Oregon that's got like a 900 mile recruiting radius yes yes and so and Chris Brooks said it too like recruiting has gotten a little bit lazy and a huge part of that is the growth of the highlight film the growth of huddle and all this stuff so like to me we just need a pipeline from somewhere. I don't care where it is. We just need to go get the best players, whether they're here in Nebraska or get the best players we can out of Texas, the best players we can out of Florida. Like, 
if if we have a pipeline in Southern California or Northern California, wherever it may be, where we're getting a good chunk of their best players, I don't care if it's outside of 500 miles. I don't care if it's outside of a thousand miles. I don't care if it's outside of 200 miles. Like it does not matter to me. It does not have to revolve around X amount of miles. Now, do I think we have to dominate our in-state recruiting? Absolutely. But there's not, there's not a division one program that doesn't think that, but yeah, you got to protect time, your borders. Yeah. But at the same time, we don't necessarily have to dominate St. Louis. And I know St. Louis was the topic last week because that's where Chris Brooks is. But we don't have to dominate St. Louis. We don't have to dominate Kansas City. We don't have to dominate Colorado, Ohio, Iowa, South Dakota. Like just because that state borders us, we don't have to dominate it if we're not if we're not making inroads and winning that battle. Let's go find where we can win that battle and get that talent. So that that is something that I feel like has changed across the board in college football, except for our perception as fans. Yeah, I mean, and and that's I think we're I don't want to say we're brainwashed by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like that's 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 what we think is that's what we've always been brainwashed into believing that hey, we're in Nebraska, there's not a player that should get out of Nebraska. Well, that's just not realistic anymore. When you you've got these players that unfortunately weren't born and raised here and been here for 18 years. A lot of kids are now transplants here from all over the entire country because parents move here for work or opportunity or different things like that. So you're getting a lot of guys that didn't see when Nebraska was good. Most of these kids now, they've just seen Nebraska as being a shit program for the last eight years. Yeah, and one of the biggest cases of that is the tight end out of Bellevue West that ended up at Oklahoma. He, Yes, he went to high school at Bellevue, but – He's a military kid. That's why he was at Bellevue West because the base is in Bellevue. Like he, he truthfully doesn't really have a tie to the university of Nebraska. And it took a long time for fan, fans to understand that. Like, Hey, yes, this is, this kid's a great kid. He's inside our borders. Um, and I'll be honest. I don't, I don't think the staff recognized that. I don't think the staff truly understood his situation and that's why they weren't all in on him the way this staff would have been. That makes sense. That make, that makes a lot of sense. Well, um, they just did the uh, drop, I guess, on Twitter, and it is literally just a picture of Dylan Ryle with all his offers. So <laughs> that's the uh, announcement. <laughs> that that was literally the announcement. Uh, it says offers on the table thus far for five star quarterback Dylan Ryle, and then has all of his offers. So I guess who, that's who um, dropped it. That is from Hayes Fawcett. The recruiting guru on Twitter. So that's something. Man, wow. Husker fans are pissed. <laughs> I mean, I'm pissed. I, I assumed it would be a final three, but it, you know, it is, it's going to be what it is. Um, I'm excited to see. March is going to be a fun month for recruiting. Um, the, that March 25th weekend, if they can get KJ Bolden to come up as well. That that's probably the biggest recruiting weekend Nebraska's ever had. I think talent wise, yeah, getting yeah. the most amount of talent on campus at the same time, without a doubt. And yeah, um, call your shot. Is he is he is he Nebraska or no? By the end of the first quarter, Dylan Ryle is in fully. Announced. I believe. I, I believe so too. Uh I'm not, I'm not going to say – I'm going to say by the start of next football season, I can see them delaying this. 
Yeah, there there was some talk about possibly even pushing into like June or July. I'm just going to go with what I've said the entire time to anyone that's ever DM me about the subject. I think by the first quarter he he commits. So, um, yeah, I think Husker fans are going to have a lot to be excited for, uh, especially the, with the way the offseason has gone thus far and actually getting these coaches to coach up some football and then seeing, you know, the fruits of the labor on the recruiting trail really taking full effect, yeah. I think is, is going to be something that's going to be fun to watch this, this off season, honestly. So um, Drake, we, we waited until we got that big announcement. Um, it was, it man, this was a fun one tonight. Just kind of going down memory road on everything, connecting with Riola. So we'll have to, yeah. we'll have to do something like this here again soon. Uh, maybe even next week's Sunday when we're here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, we've talked about it. I think one of these weeks, um fans throw throw some of these in here too uh next time all three of us can hop on together we should do our biggest what ifs over the last 20 years for nebraska football Ooh, that's a good one i like that let's let's do that and then yeah we should get some fan input on what theirs are when we uh drop this yeah. and see what people have to say yeah we will uh we'll we'll have some fan honorable mentions of their what ifs and uh we'll go from there now do we want to put parameters on it first? What do you mean? What kind of parameters will we be talking about here? Does your what if have to be somebody who who actually ended up in Nebraska? No, because you can go with the – and I know this is one that someone brought up to me was Carl Crawford. Yes. So I, I personally will be keeping situations like Carl Crawford, Bubba Starling out. Okay. I, I'm personally going to go more with guys who actually ended up here at Nebraska. So we'll do a what if on things that actually happened at Nebraska. Not, no, if you well, don't, if you don't, if you don't want that parameter, that's fine. That, I, I, that's just how I'm going to do it. Okay, I'm cool either way. I mean, there, there's some interesting ones that you don't even have to bring in guys that didn't show up here. So that'll be a fun yeah. one. I'm excited for that. That'll be a good one to to rock and roll with. We do have a big guest that uh, is going to be coming up hopefully here in the next couple weeks too. So got to keep working that one but that'll be a, another fun one yeah yeah we uh hopefully hopefully we'll get some good guests lined up here uh leading into spring ball and and after to to quest quench the uh kool-aid thirst leading into the first game of the year you know we, we got a lot of time but that's okay because we got a lot of stuff to put out so actually I, I got one last question for you before before we walk out did you see that they released a preseason line for Nebraska, Colorado. I did. It was seven points, I believe, wasn't it? Yes. Nebraska's the favorite. Too oh. early to too early to call that, knowing that we're going to be in Colorado. You like the line? Where where do you stand on that? I I think it's too big of a line, honestly. Just with both teams, it's gonna be a there's gonna be so much unknown that honestly, I feel like it's gonna be a close game. Um I would take if, if it was Nebraska three, I would take it. But seven See, is a big line for me. Here's where here's where I'm at. And I also said this going into Northwestern last year. I think if if Nebraska's gonna win this game, it, it's gonna be a minimum two scores. And the reason for that is we still have a lot more returning than them. I mean, they completely cleaned house. This staff has never really competed at, at this level for Colorado. Um, I mean, so they I got talented guys, but yeah, I, I, I agree with that. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, they they have a couple of guys that at one point were top five recruits in the country. Like, I just think if Nebraska wins this game, it is going to be a, a double-digit win. Um, I'd prefer your way of winning than my way, so if we're going to be honest now, with each other. That doesn't mean I'm not I'm not scared. Like, I just don't think we win a, sing, a, a one-score game at Colorado next year. That's fair. I just – I'm going it – Going with it because it's a cop out at this point. If you ask me again, after hey, that's my role on this show. <laughs> I know I had to steal it from you for this. Uh, if you ask me again after spring, I will feel a lot more confident about my answer. And and I, knowing you the way I know you, I have to imagine that you are much happier hearing that this spring game is going to be an actual football game. Uh, yeah, I, I do enjoy watching football, actual football. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to. Just see the uh, mentality changes that have that this staff has instilled, and I think we're going to start seeing that. I mean, we've already seen it in how they're practicing and the videos and such, but seeing them actually out there playing the game. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see that. It'll it'll be good to watch a, a football team out there that's disciplined and doesn't want to lose. For agreed, once. agreed. So. Uh, they're going to be playing to win, not playing to not lose. Exactly. Which is a totally different mindset. And we've seen it for so long that it's it's hard to think otherwise, but it can definitely be done because we've seen it done elsewhere. Drake, do you have anything else, my man? I got a lot more, but I'll save it for next week. I think next week's show is going to be another damn good one. Drake, I appreciate you joining me tonight, buddy. Um, everybody, thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you later for Church of the Corn. Have a good one, everybody. Members of the Corn Congregation. Let's raise our Kool-Aid-filled glasses and drink to all the things that were, are, and forever will be Nebraska Cornhuskers. Go Big Red. A Herd at Sports Network production.